Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that this message you hear today will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, you can check out our website at cvcmadera.com, and there you'll find our Instagram and Facebook links, as well as our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church Madera. Thanks for listening. All right, you ready for the Word of God today? Can I tell you, it, is, it feels good to have the, the jersey off. Even though I'm a big Niners fan, it was hot. Um, sometimes keeping secrets is hot. Amen? Anybody know? Anybody, I, I'll preach that. Now, maybe later. Don't hold on to things. Let it go. All right. Uh, <clears throat> we're in our fourth week in this series on fasting. How many of you have been able to be a part of uh, the series throughout all four weeks? God has been really speaking to us and growing us in this idea of fasting. And even though that we're concluding this series on fasting, we're not going to stop fasting as a people because one of the goals that we want to establish as a church through this series is that we want to not only understand the, the benefits and the essentialness of fasting for every life of, a, every life of believers, but also that we would, we would begin the rhythm and the pattern of fasting on a regular basis as a way of offering ourselves to Jesus as a way of growing in holiness, as a way of amplifying our prayers so that not only will we be heard in heaven, but we will also be heard and and hear the voice of God. Amen? And so we've been walking through this series, and if you missed any one of those, I encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel and you can watch those. They're they're under our live stream section, but they're all saved there. Um, But it's it's important that we understand that, that these spiritual practices that we've been talking about, we talked about Sabbath last year, talking about fasting now, these disciplines that we, that we cultivate in our lives of prayer and Bible study and silence and solitude and all of these spiritual disciplines that we have been given to, uh, uh, given to us as a church are ways that we, we get to spend more time with Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, your goal is, our goal is, to be more like Jesus. So we, we become, the, the adage is, we become what we behold. And the more that we behold Jesus, especially walking through and using these practices to help us be with Him, the more we become like Him. The more the Holy Spirit transforms us and and cultivates us uh, in the things of God and allows the fruit of the Spirit to develop in greater measure in our lives. And so these practices are fruitful. They're helpful for us. What's interesting about fasting, though, it's unique in the sense that it helps us to offer our whole selves to Him. Our mind, soul, and body. When you fast, I mean, you feel, every part of you feels it. Amen? Every part of you feels fasting. And so when you're fasting, you're saying, I'm giving it all to you, Jesus. I'm offering my whole self to you, Jesus. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful way that we can surrender ourselves. So we're going to be diving in into week four. And uh, we're going to jump into it. Before I go into the last of the, f- the four reasons why we've, we're fasting, I want to give you some stats. If you want to take notes, you can write this down. Or if you want to, also, you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, It has all the notes there from today. Uh, Some of these notes, these stats aren't in there. They might be. I'm not sure. But uh, I want to give you a few of them. The first one is this, that around 2 billion people in the world live in poverty. 2 billion people. 10% of that, the, the world population, 700 million people live in extreme poverty. That's double the size of America. 700 people live on less than $2 a day. In the United United States, extreme poverty is is really high as well. 11.6% of our own citizens, nearly 40 million people, are in extreme poverty. 
Most of them are children, and nearly 22,000 children die every day from poverty. Those are huge stats. And yet, on average, an average family of four in the United States throws out about $1,500 a year in wasted food. That's 40% of food in America is thrown out. That estimates about 80 to 160 billion pounds of food are wasted each year. And I thought, that seems extreme. When I was hearing these stats, I said, that doesn't sound right. But yesterday, I was driving around Madeira, and we had some clothes. Anybody start cleaning out your closets about this time? You're like, I'll never wear that shirt again, and you start, you know, you take it out. We start cleaning out our closets, and Faith says, can you run down to the Goodwill? And so I jump in the car with the boys, and we drive over to Goodwill, and I'm putting some clothes there. And we start going around the back side, if you've ever donated clothes right over there by 26. And as I start coming around, I look and I see these dumpsters full of something, and I thought, this is insane. So I took a picture. Do you have that picture? That's in our own community. A dumpster full of food that went wasted. I read these stats and I thought, man, that seems, that seems a bit out there. But in our own community where people are starving, there's a dumpster full of rotten fruits and vegetables. We, we, in our, we live in a culture of excess. It wasn't that nobody wanted it. We just have so much. We don't know what to do with it. We are throwing out more food in our own community than we know what to do with. It's, it's mind-boggling. So there are millions of people around the world that are starving, and there are millions more that have more than enough food. We don't know what to do with it. And we fill our dumpsters up with it. How, many, how much food do we have in our own pantries that has expired because we had so much? And it made me wonder, is there something in the life of a believer, is there a practice that we could, that we could begin to live out that would help begin to bridge the gap in this disparity between the haves and the have-nots? And as I was thinking about it and looking at it, obviously we're in a practice right now, and I think the answer to bridging this disparity is fasting. Over the last three sessions, we've looked at fasting and explored it as a personal transformation, what it does inside each one of us. But now we're going to be talking about a different type of fasting that goes from internal to external, that not only has the power to transform us, but now has the power to transform our communities and how we live in our community. Throughout church history, fasting is one of the main practices that followers of Jesus put into place or adopted into their lives that moved them toward those who are hungry and those who are on the outskirts of society. So the fourth reason we fast, now there's more reasons to fast, but the four ones that we've looked at, to offer ourselves to Jesus, to grow in holiness, to amplify our prayers, here's the fourth one, to stand with the poor to stand with the poor. And maybe this is one aspect of fasting that you've never heard of before. Before I actually done this study, I didn't even think of fasting in this way. I thought fasting only for what it would do in me, only for the issues I needed. Most of the times when I fasted, I fasted because I needed a response from God. 
I'd never fasted as a rhythm or a practice of pra- uh, giving myself regularly to Jesus, denying myself, crucifying my flesh. You know what I'm saying? And as I began to grow in this practice and began to understand the heart of God and the desires for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, God began to speak to me. And I believe he's speaking to us now because he wants to connect our fasting not only as an internal discipline, but something that flows out of us that brings transformation in our community. This type of fasting is connected to justice in our communities. If you're not familiar with that, let's turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is one of the most essential passages on fasting as it relates to what it does in the community. And I want to walk through this passage of Scripture together. If you're not familiar with the prophet Isaiah, God was speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, were supposed to be a nation or a people, a priesthood that through them all the nations of the world would be blessed, that, that the world would come to know the one true God through this people. And in this setting where the prophet Isaiah comes to them, they're, they're failing at that miserably. And so God begins to speak to them. And starting in verse 3, the people begin to respond back to God. And I wonder, maybe these words, I wonder if they echo in your hearts as well, because this is what the people say. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Meaning this, the people are asking God, we're fasting, but it doesn't seem like it's working. Anybody ever been there? Oh, I fast, I don't see nothing, I don't feel nothing, I don't even think this is real. This is what the people of God are saying back to God. We've done these things, we've humbled ourselves and you seem like to not care. Why, God, aren't you hearing our prayers? Why aren't you responding? And look what God says in verse 3, continuing. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. I'm not going to hear you. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Meaning this, that fasting is not only a way to humble yourselves. It's not just about what it does inside of you and I. It has to go beyond that. And think about it. It's a kingdom principle. If we're fasting to to help ourselves, at some point that has to spill out out of us to overflow to others because the kingdom is not self-centered or selfish and sometimes we take these biblical practices and we think look what it does for me look how it makes me feel look how it gets me closer but if that closeness to Jesus doesn't transform the community around you what is the point if we don't begin to look like Jesus and go into communities and around our neighborhoods and even in our own families and begin to reflect the love of Jesus and the transforming power of his love then what are we doing Is it so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look how good of a Christian we are? Then we're right back in the same junk we were in before. Now it just has a new name and a different label. We're living under religiosity if it doesn't spill out into into affecting those around us. Jesus did not call you to be a Christian and then live on an island by yourself. We are called to be world changers and life transformers. 
by the, by the working of the Holy Spirit in us. And so fasting is going to have the exact same measure. That there's going to be something in us that causes us to act out the righteousness of the kingdom wherever we go. And not just calling people to morality. Not just saying, hey, you ought not, you should not. But instead saying, what does the kingdom of God look like? When we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it's not just a prayer and then we do nothing about it. We establish it as we practice it. Amen? Verse 6 says, Is not this the fast, keep reading, that I chose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke or burden, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? I don't know about you, but this is not a type of fasting I have really practiced very much. Where I take what I have and I deny myself of it, and then I choose, I'm going to give it to those who are in need. Notice, this is the motivation for the type of fasting the Father wants us to be uh, as His followers. That we would fight injustice. That we would free people from oppression. That we would share our food with the hungry. That we would provide a shelter for those who have no place. For the refugee and for the immigrant. That we would clothe the naked. That we would meet practical needs of people all around us. That we would be the church that are indeed the hands and feet of Jesus. If we practice this kind of fasting, listen what, listen what the Lord says to those who practice this type of fasting. Verse 8 says this, Then, say then, then, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. See, this is a whole different dimension of fasting than the first three sessions, right? The first three sessions were about, and those are good things, obviously, right? We're not going to diminish those for the sake of this, but what we're saying is there is a progression of following Jesus, that when you come to him, you allow him to transform you and you allow him to, to change you and you continue to live that lifestyle of surrender to him, But at the same time, we begin to look outwardly at those around us because of what Jesus has done inwardly inside of us. So it has less to do with us now, and now it has more to do with others. And in Scripture, we typically see that God's heart for those who do not have. In his commentary on Isaiah 58, Augustine said this. He says, break your bread for those who are hungry, said Isaiah. Do not believe that fasting alone suffices. Fasting fasting chastises you, but it does not refresh the other. Do you wish your prayer to reach God? Give it two wings, he says, fasting and almsgiving or acts of mercy. I love that picture. This is a picture that John Mark Comer talked about in our Wednesday night classes as well through the study. That prayer is like a bird that if you want it to fly to heaven, give it two wings. Fasting and almsgiving or a word that that others would be translated into acts of mercy, meaning acts of generosity, acts of service, acts of justice. In a biblical worldview or a biblical mindset, 
living generously and in and acts of service is just connected to fasting as prayer is. So obviously we can fast without praying, but when you do that, you're kind of missing the point because it's to be with the Lord and to offer yourselves to the Lord. So theoretically it's possible, but in a biblical mindset, it's just as illogical to practice fasting without being generous, without, being, uh, without serving others and without seeking the justice of others. So f- followers of Jesus have been practicing this type of fasting for thousands of years, over 2,000 years now. I love what the, the, the shepherd of Hermas, uh, it's a writing from the early, early church, about second century, and it's giving instructions for those, for the widespread practice of fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, and it's written down for the early church, and it said this, estimate the cost of food you, have, you would have eaten on the day of your fast, and give that amount to a widow or an orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way. That the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his soul and pray to the Lord for you. Gregory of Nicaea said this, he's an early church father in the fourth century, said, give to the hungry what you deny your own appetite. Caesarea of France, the sixth century says, let us fast in such a way that we lavish our lunches on the poor so that we may not store up in our own purses or our own pockets what we intended to eat, but rather in the stomachs of those who are hungry. What, what all these great writers are saying, those who followed Jesus throughout the centuries, is that we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with our neighbor. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he gave two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can't divide those things, church. They come together. It's a a package deal. We love God and we love others. That's what we're called to do. And if you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. That fasting is a way to love God and love your neighbor at the same time. Love God and love your neighbor at the same time. How, do, how does that work? I'll give you three, three, three ways it helps us when we begin to practice fasting in this way. Number one is it helps us to stand with the hungry. When you regularly begin to practice going without food by choice, it, it, it emotionally somehow connects you to the millions of people around the world who go without food, not by choice. Those of our, our brothers and sisters around the world who, who can't go down to McDonald's and grab a, a, a quick burger, who don't have the luxury of having pantries that are full and, and where food can spoil. They have nothing. And when we begin, when we begin to say no to that area, of our, emotionally we can say, now I kind of understand, slightly, what it feels like to have hunger pains. We live in a culture and society where hunger pains, no one even, no one's like, what does that even mean? But we as followers of Jesus, when we begin to get in touch at a bodily level, wanting to be with Jesus, wanting to grow in holiness, wanting our prayers to be amplified, and wanting to know there are brothers and sisters around the world who don't have the luxury of having food in front of them, I want to know what they feel like. It helps us stand with those who are hungry. When you begin to deny your stomach of something 
your heart wakens up, awakens. You begin to feel the compassion of God for those who are, who are going without. And, the, and we begin to see the poor not as a stranger, but as a brother or sister. Fasting or even restricted diets can enable us to stand in solidarity with the hungry. That's number one. When we begin to fast this way, this is what happens in us. Number two is this. We begin to share what we have. What we give up in money spent on food can be turned to generosity for the poor. What we give up in time spent on shopping for food or cooking food or eating food or cleaning up can be spent in serving those in need. Some people say, man, I want to be more generous, but money's tight. Well, there's a way that we can actually save by saying no to food. I don't know if you've been to the grocery store recently, but food's expensive. Some of us are choosing to fast just because we're like, man, I don't want to spend the money. But there's something serious about saying, God, I want to be generous. I want to I give. I want to obey your word where you call us to care for the widow and the orphans and those who don't have. But God, things are tight. We're, we're, we're living in a, in, a, in a time and an age right now where our money does not go as far as it used to. I understand all of that. But so does Jesus. And his word is timeless. And he knew the struggles we would be coming up against now, and he knows the struggles we'll know in the future. But he still calls us to live sacrificially. And this is a way that we can can begin to do that. He invites us to share with those who don't have. This is one way that, that we can not only just talk the talk, but we can walk the walk. Our culture is filled with people who love just to talk the talk. Right, everybody who's like, this is an outrage. You're doing nothing but complaining on social media. That's a term called slacktivism. Right? I'll talk about it, but I won't do anything about it. We live in a culture and a society where we think that's all we have to do. I shared it on Facebook. Did you see it? I'm in the, I'm in the fight, just like you, brother. I made a comment. I told them that was not good. And then we leave it at that. And we think, I've done my part. No, you haven't. We don't need to be a people who just talk about something. We need to be a people who walk about something, who are able to put our money where our mouth is, in a sense, and say, this is what I believe to be true, and this is how I live out what I believe to be true. I believe that God has called us to care for those who don't have it, that, 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 are, that are the single moms and the single dads and those who are struggling to make ends meet. That, that God has called us to be a family that takes in the people. It, the, the Bible is very clear that talk is cheap. Look at 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 18. 1 John 3, 16. We know, we need, we know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? But do we know 1 John 3, 16? This is what 1 John says. It says, by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. What is he saying? We know what love is because of the action of what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just talk about what he was going to do. He did what he was going to do. And we know the love of God because he laid down his life for us. He was the example. How do we know that God loves us? We look at Jesus. How do we know that God forgives us? We look at the cross. How do we know that we've been redeemed and, and adopted into the family of God? By looking at what Jesus said and what he did and his trustworthiness. 
We know love because he laid down his life for us. So then he continues, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He continues, but if anyone has the world's goods, what is that? Possessions? Extra set of clothes? Extra food in the pantry? If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Man, that hurt. You feel that? That slap across the face? I thought I was doing good. I thought I had it all together. But there's something about the love of God that has to go from us out into the world. If anyone who has, has more than enough sees a brother in need or a sister in need, and yet you close your heart off to them. How do you close our heart? Ah, they just need to get a job. Ah, they, they're fine. They don't need it. What are they going to do with it? What does that do? Those kind of talk to our. We all talk to ourselves, right? We all say things that if everyone else heard our thoughts, they'd be like, I'm ashamed. There's some things that go through our minds. And what that does, if we're not careful, is we allow those words of condemnation against someone else to close our hearts to them. And the Bible says we are responsible for our actions against and for our brothers. So be mindful that we're not shutting ourselves off from the blessing of of knowing the love of God. Because he says when we live this way, the love of God does not live within us. Then he goes on to say little children. He's talking to us, by the way. He's not talking to actual little children. He's talking to us who are growing in the faith. He says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is our desire, that we would be a church known, not just for a good word, but for the actions we take. Now you're saying, well, what what can I do? What can I do in the face of all this evil and this injustice, a dumpster full of trash right in my own backyard, full of food that's gone wasted? What can I do? Well, we can fast. And we can free up some of our own resources that we can begin to share with those who are in need. All right, this can literally be as simple as, you know, giving the money that you saved from skipping breakfast and lunch that day, 20 bucks that you would have spent on food, and giving it to the local food bank, giving it as an offering to the rescue mission, giving it to somebody in our community who's in need, who needs some groceries. Maybe you save it up uh, week after week, day after day, and you have some extra cash and you go buy groceries for somebody that you know doesn't, doesn't have enough. Or the neighbor, the single mom down the road. Or you take that money and you, you sow it into the church and you say, I want to give in a word we use in the church called benevolence. For those who come to us who are part of the family of God, the body of Christ, say, I'm, I'm having a hard time. And we take those funds and we pay bills for them. And we help them. And you can say, I want to I be a part of that. This is a way that I can actually live out my faith in a tangible way. Or if you know somebody who's got medical bills, they're struggling. Just take whatever you have, even if it's small, and you say, I'm going to be faithful with this and give it. It's simple, but it's powerful. Why is it powerful? Because you're obeying the word of your father. You're walking in the same pattern that he walked. There's something powerful that happens in our hearts when we do that. 
Number three, the third thing, the third thing that is enabled in us when we fast this kind of way is we begin to stand against evil. We stand against evil. And we fight evil with prayer and fasting. And we live this way. St. Gregory the Great said this, it's impossible to engage in spiritual conflict without previously subjugating your appetite. Meaning, it's, it's difficult to engage in a spiritual warfare if you haven't controlled your own appetite. He says, it, it, it's, it's most likely that the early church fathers saw fasting as a prerequisite for any type of prayer for breakthrough, so any type of longevity in spiritual warfare. In deliverance ministry, fasting is pretty much a standard. When you begin to pray for people and you pray for deliverance in their lives and strongholds to be torn down, that you're purging yourself, you're purifying your soul of sin, you're growing in the power and the holiness as you depend on the Holy Spirit, understanding the authority you have in King Jesus. It's something that we do to fight evil. And the fast that Isaiah has in mind is one where we stand in solidarity with the poor, where we share our resources and we stand against evil and injustice in our world. And this last type of fasting, not only will it have an effect on those that we serve, but it'll have an effect on you and I as the church. Because we're called, we need to be called to, be, to remember Jesus' vision of the church, what it was supposed to be like. Jesus saw the church as a new family, a family of peace, a family of justice, a family of love that, that adopted, where we have been adopted into the family of God. Jesus is the one who used family language. When he taught his disciples how to pray, he says, our father. But he, he taught us that this is, this is what he desires. He, he didn't come just to build a church that would be in a building in a set location and we only saw each other once a week. That's not why Jesus came. He came to establish a new family, a new household, people who've been adopted in, orphans that have now been adopted. So if we have been called to be a healthy family, then we should, be, we should look like a healthy family. And in the same way, a healthy family, there's, in your family, there's no way that anyone would ever go without food or shelter as long as there was resources in the family to help, to help the family. Amen. I was thinking about this earlier. There's no way that my kids are going to starve when I have a pantry full of food. That'd be messed up. That's called abuse, isn't it? There's no way that my daughter would, not with, would go without clothes when I have the resources available to clothe her. And in the same way, a healthy church family, there's no way that there should be anyone among us who go without food or shelter or access to the basic necessities of life as long as we have the resources to help them. Amen. I got one person. Yeah. <laughs> That's the gospel. We have been adopted into a family, into relationship with our Father, but not just with Him, but with each other. Amen. Let me remind you, when we receive communion, we'll be receiving communion again, that we say, I belong to you and you belong to me. Yes. We belong to each other. A happy family is what I like to add on there because it rhymes. But we belong to one another. And if we belong to one another, do we, do we just mean it with simple words or do we mean it when the rubber meets the road? When I know that you have a need, you have a situation, when you've, when you've got 
When you've got some things going on and you're, you're having a difficult time, do I just say, uh, James says, if you, say, if you see a brother in need who is hungry or naked and you say, hey, be blessed. Be, I pray that you get food one day and I hope you got some clothes. He says the, the, the love of God's not in you either. So are we going to live that way? Are we going to say, man, I know some needs that are going around in the family and I'll do my best to, and I'll do my part to help because that's the blessing of being in the body of Christ. We help one another. So I, my, my prayer, my heart is that we would echo the same words that we see in Acts 4 in the early church, that there is no needy person among us because we're willing to live sacrificially for the needs of others. Now, maybe you're thinking, and this is not in my notes, but maybe I thought just came in my head. Well, what about the leeches, Pastor? Not, I should have said it a different way. I'm not talking about the leeches across the road, <laughs> Pastor Roger and Lance. Not them. That was an odd way of saying that. Maybe you're like, I don't even know who that is. Okay, but what about those who come in and just try to suck off the church, right? Who, who just try to leech on, who try to, to, to uh, take and take and take. Well, obviously, we have discernment. We use wisdom. We're not here for handouts, but we're here for hand-ups. We're going to help you up. We're going to help you get to a place where you live a life in security and safety, right? So we're going to help people. But we're not going to allow the potential abuse of something or the, the taking advantage of our generosity stop us from being generous. Because that did not stop our Father in heaven who said, what if there's some people who don't accept the gift of Jesus? Should I give them anyway? No, I shouldn't. I don't, want the, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it. No, he didn't say that. He knew that there would be people who still rejected him. He knew that there would be people who tried to take advantage of the name of Jesus. And Jesus came anyway. So we want to be a people who still live generously, even though we know that there might be people who want to take advantage of it. And we trust the Lord for the gaps. Amen? Amen. Not in my notes, but I thought maybe some of you were thinking about that. Uh, oh, yeah, original is the Lord. All right. Now, as we're coming to a close of these four weeks, I've tried to do my best in laying out these four sessions in a way that would help you get a vision of why fasting is important for us, why it's essential for the life of every believer. And I hope that you understand the context of it so that it hasn't been something that's weird and out there. Maybe some of you grew up in a church where you're like, you just were told to fast, and you're like, okay. And you just did it, and you didn't know why you were doing it, and then you were just hangry for those days. And you're like, I don't even know what the purpose of it is, right? Hopefully we give you a well-rounded understanding so that not only would you know the importance and the value of it, but that you would begin to put it into practice in your life as you follow Jesus, as, as you would develop a rule of life or a lifestyle of following Jesus in this way. Amen. That you would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no on certain days so that I can say yes to Jesus and so that I can begin to live generously, so that I can grow in holiness, so that I can have my prayers amplified to heaven, so that I can hear my Father's voice more clearly. This is a gift to us. And I hope that you take a hold of it and you run with it. Right? Fasting has the potential to transform your relationships. It has the potential to transform your relationship with Jesus by awakening a hunger in you you didn't know you had. By stirring a passion for the name of Jesus and for the, for the desires of the kingdom of God to awaken inside of your heart. Fasting has the ability to transform your relationship with Jesus. Fasting has the ability, the potential to transform your relationship with your own body. 
to heal a relationship, a negative relationship you've had with food. Or, or to break you out of the pleasure principle, where if it feels good, I'm going to do it. Fasting has the ability to break that off of your life. Where you begin to starve your flesh so that you can feed your spirit and you can develop in self-control. Fasting has the ability to change your, your, transform your relationship with your own body. Fasting has the ability to transform your relationship to God in prayer. It sharpens your ability to hear His voice. It gives you the, the, uh, 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 the power, it increases the power of your prayers, it amplifies it for breakthrough and to tear down walls in the name of Jesus. And lastly, fa- fasting has the power, the potential to transform your relationship with the poor to those that are hungry, to those that are in need. So that the first thing that, doesn't, that comes to your mind isn't a thought of judgment, but a, jo- uh, but a thought of compassion. Yes. I don't know about you, but I want to have compassionate thoughts, not judgment thoughts. I want to say, God, whatever has brought them to that place, Lord, would you bring them deliverance, God? And would you begin to speak to me in ways that I can bring healing in these areas and love people? I want, my, I want even my secret life to look like Jesus. Yeah. I want my thought life to sound like Jesus. Yeah. Fasting has the ability to do that in us. Yeah. This is a style of living that we can walk out. A, a pattern of life. And it's like I said at the, for the beginning of this series, in the first week that Fasting was a pattern developed for centuries in the church, 1,600, 1,700, 1,800 years. Our brothers and sisters that have gone before us lived this way. And it wasn't until the Renaissance and the Reformation and the Enlightenment period that we thought the body is bad and only intellect and logic is good. And we divided ourselves up and we've been miserable ever since. And we have issues going on in our body and we're like, I don't know why. It's because we're filling them with junk. And God calls us back into the pattern that he established at the beginning. So if you would look at the early church, if you looked at the early church in the early 200s and 300s AD, or even in the 1200s, 1300s AD, you looked at a pattern of life, you would see the exact same pattern. They would eat, they would fast, and they would feast. They ate very, very modestly most days. And on Wednesdays and Fridays, they fasted from sunup to sundown or from when they woke up till sundown, then they ate a simple meal, and on Sabbath they feasted. They celebrated because they rested in God. And they had this pattern of eating, fasting, and feasting, and it's a long-standing tradition in the way of Jesus. But it's no secret that most of us Americans, we would rather feast than fast. But the idea is in the life of a believer that these things should be reciprocal. There should be a, a relationship between fasting and feasting. I've used this quote before by Marva J. Don, and she wrote in her book on Sabbath, she wrote this, that Americans do not know how to feast because we don't know how to fast. And especially if we can fast on behalf of those who don't have enough and share plenty with them, our feasting will be that much more meaningful. The invitation of the church of Jesus down throughout the history is to join in this ancient rhythm of eating, fasting, and feasting. It's a good pattern of life. It helps us develop a life that is surrounded and circled by Jesus. 
But let's not forget that fasting is temporary and feasting will be for eternity. John Mark said this in the video and I loved it, so I took it. <laughs> that, that we on this earth, this is, the only, this is the only opportunity we have to fast and to stand with the poor. Because when we enter into eternity, there'll be no need for fasting. We won't be able to stand with the poor because there will be no poor. We'll be standing in the presence of God and the richness of our Father will be overflowing in us for all of eternity. The ancient fathers point out that Scripture begins with a fast. That the first commandment we see in Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 is don't eat that. Don't eat that. That's not good for you. Called to a fast, to abstinence. But Scripture ends with a feast. Revelation chapter 22 and 20, 21 and 22 says that when all the people of God come together, all the children from every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be gathered around the table of Jesus. Amen. And we will dine with him and we will celebrate. So when we, when we feast, like many of us are going to feast today as we watch the Niners win. <laughs> By the grace of God, just right now say a prayer for Purdy. God, he loves you. Help him, Lord. But when we feast, what we're doing is we're saying, we're, we're thinking about our future. That God, we, we feast today, God. We are saying, God, I, I think about the feast that lays ahead of me. When we get to dine at your table, Lord, and, and we will take part in all the good things that you have for us. And when we fast, we're praying with our bodies, Lord, bring that future into our present. God, when we cry out, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is the prayer of the church. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. The early church used to use the word Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So while we have the opportunity, let's stand with the poor and serve them as we're serving Jesus. I want to leave you with this last verse that gripped my heart as I began to study this, this passage. Matthew chapter 25. Worship team can come. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. This is a word for all of us today, church. When the Son of Man, this is Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, those who had him as their shepherd, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared before you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? 
When did I see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. I don't know about you, but I want to do not just for Jesus, but to him. This is a powerful truth that many of us have been missing. When we feed the hungry, we give drink to the thirsty, we clothe the naked, we welcome the stranger, we visit the sick, those who are incarcerated. We are doing it to him. What an honor. What a privilege we have the opportunity to show the tangible love of Jesus. And when we, when we show his love to those around us, Jesus says, it's like you're doing it to me. It's like you're serving me because you're letting people see my love. You're letting people see my heart. Why do we fast? Not only is it the way to offer ourselves to Jesus, that's first and foremost. Not only is it to help us grow in holiness so that the things that entangle us will no longer entangle us. Not only is it to help us amplify our prayers so we can hear our Father's voice, because Jesus said clearly, you'll know His voice and have our prayers heard, but that's so that we can live out the tangible gospel to a world that needs Him. And that we can serve our king who sits on the throne by serving our brothers and sisters. So we serve Jesus by serving others. I don't know about you, but church, that stirs my heart this morning. My heart is stirred to not live a life of selfishness. Even in my walk with Jesus, it ain't about me. It always has to be about him and those he calls to serve. So God, do your work in us. Come on, would you begin to pray? Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel where you'll hear past episodes. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate it and share it with friends. It'll help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.com and click on the giving link. We love you. God bless.